7. And uh, okay, so we've been in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah 7 serves as kind of the pivot point for Nehemiah. We, we have up to this point, Nehemiah has been in process of building the wall and all that comes with that, right? The opposition, inside, outside, all those kinds of things. And, and we've kind of been walking with Nehemiah in that venture. And, and, and then a few verses in, it really starts to begin taking a shift where Nehemiah begins to uh, not just focus on the, the outside, the walls, but now the inside. What, what, what has that been for? And, and what are we set to do as God's people, and particularly Jerusalem? And, and so, uh, so that's kind of where we're picking up in, in chapter 7. And, uh, and not like a few weeks, not unlike a few weeks ago, chapter 7 has uh, a genealogy with a lot, a lot of names. and a lot of, If you've read ahead, you're like, How's David going to do this again, right? Well, I'm not, all right? I'm uh, hard passing on most of chapter 7. I'm giving you homework to go and read uh, the, the, the names and the things that, but, uh, that, that are listed there, okay? But, uh, but, but what I do want you to know that's important is that this list is very similar to the list in Ezra 2. Like in, in Ezra... Uh, these lists are given because they're, they're being returning to Jerusalem from Babylon under the leadership of Zerubbabel in about 536 BC. And, uh, and, and the list served to prove who was a true Jew. And, and so Nehemiah is referencing this list again uh, in order to establish who are the ones that are available to repopulate Jerusalem and establish the worth of the worship of God uh, in, in, within its walls. And so that's kind of the reason that the, the list is here. It's, it's kind of important. It's in the, in the Bible twice. Uh, and, uh, and, and so now we then say, why? Why is, the, why is this list of people in, in the Bible twice? And, and I think it's because God is establishing and wanting to establish, using the leadership of Nehemiah, but wanting to establish a, a, a God-fearing people and, and a people who worship his name. And so we're going to see now that the walls have been built, the inside, uh, the people, uh, and what they set their lives to matters. And so Nehemiah is going to spend some time uh, building that culture. And what does that look like? What are the people of God? What are the, what are the priorities for the people of God? And I think we're going to see that. So let's dive in. I'm, I'm going to read the first few verses. We're not reading the whole chapter, as I mentioned, but we're going to read uh, uh, the first section together, and, and then we'll jump to the end, uh, towards the end. Uh, but let's start with verse 1. Verse 1 says this. Now when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed. Now I want to stop there. I think we see here God's people... Um, prioritize worship. Nehemiah here is prioritizing worship. He's setting up the Levites. He's setting up the singers. You know, so the first task when the walls are built is let's get our worship right. And so for the people of God, prioritizing worship is, is, is a big deal. And particularly, I think what we need to understand about Jerusalem and why they even, if you would remember back to the beginning of Nehemiah, the reason why Nehemiah was so distraught about the walls being in shambles was not just because the people are living in fear for attack of, of the surrounding nations, but it was greater than that. It was God is being dishonored because he's not being fully worshipped by his people the whole reason the walls are being built up is for the worship of god and so so here is nehemiah saying okay now the walls are built back let's let's 
put right things right and, and prioritize our worship. Let's put the Levites here, let's put the singers here and, 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 and establish right worship of a God who deserves right worship. Now, an interesting point to me here is, so it is after the walls have been built that they then prioritize worship in their community, which says, says something to me. One, now here's the time where they have entered into what would typically be comfort, safety, security. And, and that comfort, safety, and security works in through Nehemiah and the people of God to elevate the, 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 the priority on, on worship. To, to say, okay, now let's worship God as he deserves to be worshipped. What I find often in our culture is the opposite of that. That when we reach some level of safety and security and comfort, that it produces more apathy than worship. It produces more, more uh, non-worship things, a worship of self, than it does actual true worship of God. And so th I think this is an encouragement for us in, in, in a lot of ways because, you know, if you look at the, the landscape of Christendom in, in, in America, I mean, we've had it pretty, pretty cush. I mean, I mean for, for the last several years, I mean, we, we you know, we, we've, Freedom of worship, I mean, by and large, we could argue points here and there, but, but by and large, free to worship, uh, safe, secure, by, again, by and large, there are other examples, but by and large, we, we have the freedom to worship our God how we want to worship our God, how we see Him deserving to be worshipped. And what has it produced in the church in America? I, I think there is a lot of apathy uh, in our land towards the things of God, and and, um, and, and so for us, I think it, I, I just wanted to encourage the church to say, if God blesses you, that's great. If, you, if you're blessed in whatever way, health, uh, if, if you're blessed, you, you know, you, you're, um, you, you're in comfort, you're secure, you know, you, you, all, all those kinds of things. Your life is not in shambles. You're not, in, you're not, you're not like um, in the middle of a situation that's made you super desperate for God, whatever that situation may be, whether financial or health or whatever, but, but you're kind of walking a road and it's like, things are pretty good. If things are pretty good for you, praise God for it and clutch to Him as you would if things were not. As we would if we were riddled with cancer or we were depending upon God to do a great healing work or we were needing God to pay the bills or whatever that is. That, that we would be so desperate for God in times of blessing, comfort, security as we are when things are kind of crazy. And so let it be a, just an encouragement to us to kind of shake us, to rattle us out of our slumber, out of our apathy, to cling to Christ even when things are going really well. And, and, and that we would obey what is the greatest commandment, which is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we would be a people that categorically, being Christians, prioritize the worship of our God at all times in our life. Now, I want to press on that a little further, too, because, because Revelation 2, if you were to go to Revelation 2, you would see Jesus writing letters to seven churches, and one of those churches is the church in Ephesus, is the church of Ephesians, and, and he, he praises them for a lot of things. You, you cast it out, you know, false teachers, you know, you held doctrine right. It was, it was really awesome, but this I have against you, that you have forgotten your first love. 
May we not be a church that have forgotten our first love. May, may we not just get so wrapped up in comfort or even principles that we fail to worship the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I think, that, you know, the great encouragement for church folk is that it's, 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 it's not uh, the, what you'll be evaluated on is not that you know all the answers, but do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And may we be that people that don't forget our first love, that cling to Christ, whatever our situ- situation is, and, and that you would prioritize worship of him both personally and corporately, that, that in your homes, in your personal life, that you wake up every day and experience the mercies that are new for you every morning in, in prioritizing the worship of God from your life personally. And that may look like a, a time in the Word. It may look like prayer. It, it may, may, whatever that looks like. But that you would daily prioritize worship of God in some capacity. And, and also, when you come here, that th- this is a priority to you. Now, I know for us, like, co- when, when COVID hit originally and we shut down the church, I think, I think this was a, a message that was very fresh to us. That, that, man, that did things in us. We didn't know that going without church for two months would do. And it really made us say, man, that, that is a need. And I see the benefits of the body gathering together and worshiping and worshiping together. We, we, we felt that, right? We, we prioritized it. So, no, you know, you know we're, we're starting this thing back up. I don't care what the rest of you churches do. We're starting back up because we need this, right? And, and, and so we saw that. We, and we, we prioritized worship in, in, in that moment because we, we saw that there are things that happen here that can't happen outside of here. Right now, now I know we've got folks watching online that are homebound and, uh, or health issues or, or, or different things. Uh, however, one of the things that I saw coming out, not, not, not necessarily for our church, but across church world uh, after that, was it became very easy to just worship in our pajamas. Right? It's like, ah, you know what? I stayed up late watching that football game last night, and I'm just going to, let's just watch on TV, Right? Um, which it, it is a great tool. God uses it. But, but for us to be a people that prioritize worship, I think it's important for us to prioritize the gathering together of the body. And you're going to go on vacation. You're going to be sick, all those kinds of things. But by and large, if you can be here, that you're here. And again, I'm preaching to the choir. You guys are so faithful coming and, and, and attending and worship. But that we would be a people that see the importance of that for us, for our families, and we would come and gather together in worship of our great God and let him do the things that he does in here that he doesn't do outside of here. Okay, let's read on. Verse 2. I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah the governor of the castle charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. Uh, Okay, what I think we're going to see here is that godly people have godly character. Here here are Hananiah and Hananiah. This is one of the first times that you have... Uh, brothers named the same letter or the first name, right? I, that's where this trend started, maybe. Uh, but you have Hananiah and Hananiah, and, uh, and Hananiah was the one 
that uh, likely was the one, the, the brother of Nehemiah, that, that brought um, the word to Susa, where Nehemiah was, that Jerusalem's walls are in disarray. So he's likely that person. Um, and, and, and so, so Hananiah was the, was the one that uh, Nehemiah then set up as kind of the civic leader of Jerusalem, that, that he would be in charge administratively uh, of, of Jerusalem and, and, and serve in, in that way. Hananiah is appointed as the military leader of Jerusalem. And I love what it says about Hananiah, where it says uh, he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. I think for us, if, you know, when we see Nehemiah establishing the people of God uh, and the culture of the people of God in a new Jerusalem, now they have their walls built. It's, hey, let's worship God and let's surround us with people that are godly, that have godly character. And particularly, we see two attributes that he says of Nehemiah. The first one he says is that he is faithful. The character of a godly man, the character of a godly woman is one of faithfulness. That, that, and, and particularly that you are faithful to do what you say you are going to do. This is what faithfulness looks like. And, 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 and this is a, a fruit of the spirit that is wrought in us by walking with, with Christ. That, that as we walk with him, we, we are constantly and further burdened to be uh, what we say we are. To, to walk in the way in which he has called us to walk. To, to do the things that we have said that we're going to do. And living a faithful life is important, so important, not just for the community of believers. And it's certainly important for that. You say you're going to do. You do what you say say you're going to do you're you're faithful and in, in, in all the many ways but it's it's important to the world I, I think I've told you this story I remember when I was new to the faith and I was having great conversations with my own father about the gospel and he he didn't want anything to do with Christianity because the person on, on his line at work that led Bible study was the laziest person he worked with and, and so how we live our lives with the character in which we hold ourselves matters. Do you do what you say you're going to do? Are you faithful in the little things? And faithful just means reliable, truthful, firm. Are you someone that can be depended on? Do you have godly character? And, uh, you know, faithfulness is a, a pretty key ingredient in relationships. If I can't trust you, we're going to have a hard time having a good relationship with one another. We're, we're going to, if, if I can't trust you, if you, I can't trust you to do what you say you're going to do or be who you say that you are, it's, it's going to put a, a gap between us relationally because, you, you know, if I can trust you, then I'm going to lean in. But if I can't trust you, then, you, you know, if, if I can't trust your character, if I can't trust that you're a faithful man or a faithful woman, it's going to hurt relationships. It hurts relationships in the workplace, hurts relationships in your neighborhoods, hurts marriages, hurts parenting. Um, you know, saying, doing what you say you're going to do is so important for your children. It's so important for your children. If, if, if your child continues to hear, yes, I'm going to do this, yes, I'm going to do that, and you continue to not do those things, it matters. It matters to them. So that we would be a people that have godly character. I think it's important for people who claim to be Christ, uh, Christ followers. And, um, and so we, we want to be faithful people, faithful in, in, in uh, the little as well as, as the much. And, uh, and so the second attribute you see he, 
he says of Hananiah is that he feared God more than many. So, so godly people fear God. I love how a phrase that. I said it earlier. I love how a phrase that he feared God more than many. That means there's a scale. And there's some in the community he didn't fear God as much as. It didn't, it didn't say he feared God more than any. He said many. Which means there was a lot that feared God less than him. Uh, now let's talk about what fearing God means. I, I, you know, f- the fear of God is an awe and respect and worship of, of who God is. Particularly, I think it is seeing your sin for what it really is. I think when you begin to see your sin and who you are and who you were as accurately as you as is true then we begin to be a people that are in awe of who god is that we fear and 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 bow before the one who i didn't deserve mercy and grace i was in the depth of depravity i was in my sin i was a rebel and an enemy against god and yet god but god lavished his love upon me his grace and his mercy upon me to save a wretch like me when you understand the gap between you and god is not what you think it is but it's great and much wider than you believe it to be then you approach god as one that says i didn't deserve all the many things you've given me and by your hand because of your love you have saved me and so i bow before that and honor you i'm in awe of the gospel and how you slayed your own son to save someone like me i didn't deserve it but you did it we fear god the sovereign one who holds the world in his hands Oftentimes we see that we fear God by how we trust him in the situations of our lives. So often we're so riddled with worry and anxiety simply because we have stopped fearing God. And by that I mean we've stopped believing that he's in control. And whether or not you get that job or whether or not this works out for you relationally or whether or not your bill gets paid, this is, you're in God's hands. You're in God's hands. And so turn to him and give him the fear and adoration that, that he deserves. And I think that fear grows out of knowledge of God. I think the more you know him, the more you understand your position before him, and the more you worship him as he deserves to be worshiped. So again, going back to the prioritizing of worship, the more you are in the word of God, the more you'll see that it doesn't look so good for you without Christ. And it puts you in a position to say, praise be to God. I'm not getting to heaven because I'm awesome. I'm only getting to heaven because he has chosen to save me. His grace and mercy was lavished upon me. There was nothing good in me that he saw and said, I want David on my team. It was because of his grace and mercy to save. This puts us in a position of of, of honor and reverence which is fear of God and I pray that we would continue to grow in our fear of God in that way now let's read four and five the city was wide and large but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy And I found the book of genealogy of those who came up at the first, (coughs) and I found written in it. Then he goes on to read 
the genealogy from Ezra. Uh, again, uh, the walls are built, and, 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 and here goes Nehemiah listing uh, a, a group of people. I think one of the things we can take from this, and, and again, I encourage you to go home and read it, read through it. It is important. Uh, but I think the thing that we can kind of take home from this is that people matter to God's people. People matter to God's people. And they should matter to God's people because people matter to God. Here is a list of individuals that we read a name like, oh, great. Let me read the next 20. Like, like it, it really causes us no pause in reading like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. Or, you know, there, there's nothing in us that's like, oh, yeah, this is the guy who did this. Like, it's just a list of nobodies. And so we read it. But here's what we need to understand. It's in the Bible twice. So these people, these individuals are important to God. They matter to God. Therefore, the, the very nature of those who claim to be the children of God is that people matter to us. We see God just listing people out because he cares about individuals i think this also encourages us in this there is no individual maybe you're in here you don't know a lot about god you're just coming kicking the tires of the church glad you're here but but maybe you come in with the idea that god doesn't see you that god doesn't know you this is far from what we see in the scriptures the scriptures say that he he knows all that we are and all of who we are. He, he, the scripture says, where can I go to flee his presence? Can I, can I go to the heavens? He is there. Can I make my bed in the depths? He is there. There is nowhere that we can escape the very presence of God. And you, you think you are looked over. You're not looked over. God sees you. And he knows you. And he knows your hurts, he knows your struggles, he knows your sin. He knows you. You haven't escaped God because people matter to him. Individuals matter to him. And so for the believer in the room, I think this, this is important for us to say, well, then if individuals matter to God, then individuals should matter to me. I think oftentimes we kind of get trapped in this idea of I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really do great things for God. And when we picture those great things, we, we picture multitudes. Like, I'm going to do this, and it's going to help thousands. I'm going to do this, and, and, and it's really going to bless, you know, you know, hundreds or dozens. When in reality, most of our ministry looks like ministry to one. Who's your one? Who is the one that God has put in your life, particularly that you would be the blessing of God towards? Who is the one that God has placed? Family member, neighbor, coworker. Uh, who is the one that God has strategically placed around you? The one that has Christ in you, the hope of glory, that you might be a blessing to them towards spiritual things, towards God. Do, do you think in, in in measures of one? Because if we if we if we you know, miss the trees because of the forest, right? We're, just, we're thinking big scale. We're thinking we're going to change the world. We're going to do these things. And then this one person's right in front of us, and we completely miss it. And that's where God wants us, even again, linking the last one, we're faithful with the little. And as we're faithful with the little, God will expand that. Who's, your, who's the one that God is moving in your life? Another thing I want to point out about this list is it's a lot of family groupings. Families matter to God. Uh, again, that's why we do what we've done this morning, dedicating children. That's why, why we are growing in our, in our um, um, you know, 
work and efforts towards raising up the next generation to follow Christ. Uh, now, I want to give you a little bit of a vision cast here because I want to make it clear uh, that what we did this morning, what we do in our preschool and kids ministry and student ministry <clears throat> is, not, is not take on the sole <clears throat> ownership of discipling children. You know, uh, for generations, it, it was kind of viewed that you know, you're going to outsource the discipleship of your children to the church. You bring them here, you drop them off, and hopefully you take them home, and they're all shiny and, and, and glowing and full of the Holy Spirit. And you're like, great, the church did its job. Um, it is not our job to be the primary discipler of your children or any children. It is the parent's job to be the primary discipler of their own children. And logistically, it just makes sense. We have your children. If you bring them to everything we've got, we've got them like three hours a week compared to how long do you have them? How long does your school have them? They have them a lot. You, you guys have them a lot longer than we do. Um, and it, it never fails that someone, their parent, their, their child will walk away from the Lord at some point and, and the parent will say, see, the church didn't do their job, right? Okay, let's talk about uh, you, that the parent is the primary disciple of their children. It, it is your God-given responsibility. It's the church's job to come alongside you, to encourage, support, resource. Um, when you're struggling and your kid's gone haywire, like, I need somebody to help and pray and, um, you know, maybe put my kid in a headlock. That's uh, not me, right? Like, somebody help me with that. Right? That's where the church comes along. You know, Pastor Jose's great at headlocks. Uh, you know, and... Uh, so, so, so we partner with families to raise their children in, in Christ, in, in, in the Lord. But ultimately, it's families who will be held accountable for how they prioritize worship in their home, for how they led their children unto the Lord. Um, and, 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 and God values families. Families are also, I think, not that singles aren't important, but families are also uh, the core to the health of the church. I think as families go, so goes the church. If you are a family that's doing prioritizing worship in your home, you're standing in character uh, according to God's ways, this church is, has no choice but to be healthy because of that. As our families are healthy, so the church will be healthy. And so he, we see that he, he prioritizes families. We also see the list is made up of, of a lot of men. And I, I take every opportunity I can to preach to men to say, you are called to be the spiritual leader of your homes of your families take up that that mantle and run with it your wife will not be held accountable to what you are entrusted with it's on you it's yours and you're to run with it and you, you see this all throughout scriptures husbands are the head of their wives just as God is the head of Christ and Christ is the head of the church Ephesians 5 you see elders um, that are to be teachers and men that are teachers and leaders in their church. They're, they're, they're to, to, to lead in that capacity, 1 Timothy 2. Men are called to lead. Um, and it's ever increasingly difficult for men in this culture to lead because you have a culture that says, don't be a leader. Oh, I mean, just turn on the TV. Watch any commercial. It says, no, you, 
are, it goes one of two ways. It says, hey, just be weak and passive and, and someone else will take care of this. Or two, you work your job, you come home, you sit in your lazy boy, you deserve that, and that's all you should do. That's all you should need to do. And these are lies that are giving, given to you. So I'll constantly encourage you to take up the mantle of spiritual leadership in your homes, spiritual leadership in this church. Because as you go, we go. As you grow in Christ, we grow in Christ. As you serve, our church is blessed. Your family is blessed. So it matters to God. The, 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 this matters to God, and I think it's important when you're establishing a culture that says we want to we want to worship God for all He and uh, all, all the ways He's asked us to worship Him. Now, fast forward to verse seventy. Verse seventy of chapter seven says this. Now, some of the heads of fathers' houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury a thousand derricks of gold, fifty basins, thirty priests' garments, and fifty minas of silver. And some of the heads of fathers, the fathers' houses gave into the treasury of the work twenty thousand derricks of gold and twenty-two hundred minas of silver. And what the rest of the people gave was twenty thousand derricks of gold, two thousand minas of silver, and sixty-seven priests' garments. The last point that, I, that we're seeing Nehemiah build a culture of of God honoring people and worship within the walls of Jerusalem. And I think my last point for today that we see is the nature of God's people is that God's people give. And godly people give. Now, let me quantify a couple of things. By give, I mean generous with all of your life. Whether that's your, your, the, the ways in which God has gifted you, um, your time, your serving, um, certainly includes your resources. Uh, that, that godly people are giving people, the generous people. Godly people give. We see this all throughout Scripture. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think um, the, the benediction I'm going to read later is, comes from 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Right before 9, 8, which I'm about to read to you, uh, Paul says, God, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Loves a cheerful giver. So the whole context of this passage 9-8 is talking about giving. And he says this. Um, he says um, in 9-8, and God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Paul is connecting giving to all gracing, grace given to us and the sufficiency given to us by God to succeed in every good work. Now, let me give a disclaimer here because I'm not going to be that horse because I'll teach on a stewardship series uh, a little later in the year. Um, but, you know, this used to, and when I was early in ministry, I used to hate teaching about money. Now I see it as the most binding thing on believers' hearts that if they would get this, they would walk in freedom. They'd walk in greater obedience. Now, again, I'm preaching to the choir here. Uh, uh, we're not low on budget. <laughs> I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to pad our offering plate here. Um, I, I genuinely want you to grow in Christ. Um, our, our church is very faithful in their, in, in their giving. So it's just, I'm, not, I'm not on my soapbox here so we can gain a little more money this week. I genuinely think that you need to understand that how you, what you hold on to will kind of dictate everything else in your life 
And that may be giving. It may be sin. It may be, I, I, you know, I don't want to serve in that way. That, that if you're a hoarder of anything, that God, any gift that God has given you, it's, it's going to affect all the other things that God is doing in your life. Sin is probably the easiest. If I'm holding on to some sin, can I expect to walk in some great amount of godliness? No, I can't. I'm holding on to this. I know there's like, not that I'm going to be perfect, but I know it's like God may be withholding blessing and growth in this area because I'm not willing to give this up. I'm hanging on to it. And so for us, particularly, I think God, godly people give. I, you see this in the scripture? I see this experientially. Um, every person in my life that uh, it, what I, I would quantify as a godly person, and, and by that, kind of my measurement stick is I would send my kids to them to be discipled. All of them are generous. Generous with their time, generous with their, with their gifts, generous with their money, gener generous. I didn't say all of them are rich. See, a lot of you think you're off the hook because you, you're not wealthy. But you neglect to remember the parable where God gave a certain amount of talents to, eat, to three different individuals, and he judged them based on what they did with what he gave them. And so when we are people that say, no, 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 God, you can have everything else in my life but these things, It's, it's going to stunt your growth. You, you may be hitting a wall spiritually. I would say, okay, what in your life are you not giving up? What in your life are you not being obedient to? What is it? And so here Nehemiah is trying to establish a culture that honors and praises God. And he, and he calls them likely uh, to, to come and give to the work of the Lord. And here they go. A lot of scholars estimate if you would equate the amount of money given today, it was, like, it was over $5 million. So these people gave. They gave very generously. And, and, and this is what Nehemiah is establishing in the, the, the people of God is they have a priority for giving unto the work of God. So are you a giver? Are you a giver? Now, typically, there's one or two responses uh, in here. If, if you are a giver, you're like, yeah, praise God. Mo nobody who gets mad at this message are givers. <laughs> so if you're tore up right now, you might not want to come tell me. I don't know who gives in this church, but that would be a telltale sign real quick of who does and doesn't give. Uh, but, but people who give are like, amen, yes, I've seen God moves. Just, I mean, he, 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 I, 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 try, I can't outgive God. I'm just give him my life, give him my money, give him my resources, have all my stuff. It doesn't matter. He just keeps moving in my life. And it's not always financial. I, mean, I want to hear you. This isn't a health and wealth message. You may give God all your money, and he may not give you a dime. But he might give you himself, and that's what we're after. That's what we're after. We want to be God-fearing, God-honoring, God-knowing people. We want to worship Him with our lives now and through eternity. And we certainly want to worship Him with the things that we believe He has given to us. And again, some of that's gifts. As far as your, like your spiritual gifts. Teaching. We need more teachers in this church. Maybe you've got patience and kindness to deal with children. In a loving way, you know, if, if you're an old grump, we don't want you back there, but, but maybe God has gifted you 
And joy is a fruit of the Spirit, by the way, so you might want to evaluate that. Um, and, and so, so, but God's people give. God's people give. Now, what we've seen with Nehemiah establishing a, a, a culture in, in Jerusalem is he, he is after building a culture of people that worship God as God has laid out for them to worship Him. So these things matter. Your prioritizing of worship, do you do that? Do you care about people as God, as God cares about people? Right? Do you, do you give as God has so freely given to you? God is a giving God. He gave his own son who gave his own life. He's a giving God. He gives you all you have. He, he, has, a, what is, he has a cattle on a thousand hills. He, everything you have, you have because he gave to you. Everything. Everything I have, I have because he gave to me. Who am I to say, all right, you know, I'm not going to give back to you. No. Again, we are people that fear God. We have godly character. We're in a position that says, you call me whatever you want to call me to. My answer is yes. I bow my knee before Christ. You have given me all I need in him. Sufficiency in Christ. That's, you've given me all I need. And then let me honor you with my life in every way. And so Nehemiah is building a culture here. Now, before I close, I just want to make it very clear. If you're here and you're thinking, okay, that's it. That's the formula. I haven't really been connecting with God. I haven't really gotten this spiritual thing. But if I do these things, then that's, that's really going to help me. I, I want to pump the brakes for you for just a moment because if you try to do these things if you if you try to prioritize worship if you if you, you try to love people better you try to have character you try to give and you're expecting god to reward those things but you but you you're not a christian you're just you're you're just going to grow in your death you're going to grow in your spiritual separation these things are powerless to save you. And matter of fact, these things are really kind of flashing signs of the character of the people that have been saved. This isn't a work that I can do in my own power and might. This is a work that Christ works in me and, and makes me to be that kind of man, a man with character, a man does what I say I'm going to do, makes me into a, a, someone who prioritizes worship, makes you into a giver, makes us into a people that love people. The, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these things aren't wrought in you by willpower. They're gifts given to you by God. And so if you are leaving here thinking, okay, I can do this and I don't need to submit to Christ, I don't need to deal with my own sin, you are mistaken. You will be very frustrated in a week's time, maybe sooner, at how it doesn't work, it didn't work. The, the, the precursor to all of those things fleshing out in life is that you're saved. You, you need to be saved. Saved from what? Saved from your sin, yes. But saved from the wrath of God that your sin deserves. And the only way to be saved from the wrath of God that your sin deserves is that Jesus would have taken that wrath on your behalf. And so if that comes by faith in Him, 
trusting in his work on the cross, bowing before him and saying, there was nothing in me that can save me, but you are gracious and merciful. God, have mercy on me to save a sinner like, like me. And then God begins to conform you into the image of his own son. Character, worship, and giving. He begins to shape you. But the change of heart is first. And so if you haven't submitted to the gospel, and there's many that may, you may think you have, but it's really just some form of religion. If you, if you are a whitewashed tomb, meaning everything is clean on the outside of your life, you, you look like you've got it all together, but on the inside it's just rotten corpse, maybe the thing you're trusting in is religion. But you haven't trusted in Christ to save you. You can do the checklists. But God's not after checklists. He's after your heart. So may you be saved today. May you come to know faith in Christ. And watch Him produce in us a people that honor Him with worship, character, loving people, and by giving. Let's pray together. Father, my prayer this morning is that you would be further honored by every person in here or watching online and, and that we would be a people and we would have a church that is a, a culture of prioritizing worship in our homes, here, we are people that look like you and how we live our lives we fear God we're faithful we love like you the second commandment we love our neighbor as ourselves and that we would be generous as you were generous to us and may those things be a testimony to the world that our God sits on his throne in heaven and he rules and reigns and he sent his own son to save a people and change them to make them completely opposite than the world. And in comparison, if you line us up to those, the best the world far from Christ has to offer, that the character and the nature of God will beam out of us. we fear God and we worship him and him alone and so Father that's a work that is supernaturally wrought in us by you through your son by the power of your Holy Spirit so I pray that you would do that work today maybe there's a person in here that's just stuck in apathy they just have enjoyed the comfort of Christianity and the community therein, and yet they have not dealt with their own corruption. I pray, God, that you would save them today. And Father, I pray that even brighter you would shine forth the light from this church that impacts 
every person in Boynton Beach, Palm Beach County, Florida, the nations. God, that the, the worship of our great king deserves to be broadcast to every soul that will hear it. And so may that be the case here. Would you continue to shine further and brighter in praise of your glorious name in the people that fear a great God and bow under your mercy and grace and walk in humility and character lay down all that they have for the sake of the gospel. We know you can do it. Would you do it today? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.